Okay, we're going to get started. Turn your Bibles to 1 Kings, the book of 1 Kings, chapter 3. 1 Kings 3, verses 5 and following, and we'll get started in a moment here. You guys are super chatty after Christmas here with the new year. What a crew. It's good to be back with you guys. I was on vacation for a week and uh, was at an engineering conference in Dallas until last night. Got home late last night. We're going to be starting our new sermon series, and we're going to be doing this for a few weeks. This is not only a new year. This is a new decade. And I think it's important that we get intentional about not losing a decade. And we get to be my age. This is this decade is going to be my 60s. And, well, this whole decade is my 60s. So I was born in 1960, so I'm on the decade thing. And it's easy. I can tell you from experience, it's easy to lose a decade. You just have a decade, just, whoop, where'd that decade go? And it's so important that we get intentional about what the Lord is doing in our lives so that we make the most of this next 10 years. This isn't just New Year's. This is New Decade. And who thinks it's worth a few weeks of looking at what the Bible has to say about setting our course as we look into a whole decade? And being intentional is so very important. So 2020 is going to be our theme. And this is not so much a New Year's resolution thing. This is more about being intentional. And there's one really big problem with New Year's resolutions. Give me, give me some actual examples of the most popular, typical New Year's resolutions. Go ahead. Lose some weight. Exercise. Eat right. Call your mother more. Be nicer. What was that? Go to church more. I love that one. John, all right. More fiscal responsibility. Folks, experts on resolutions will tell you that resolutions are a great idea, but those resolutions are terrible. And you know why they're terrible? They're not specific. And they're not measurable. Lose some weight? Spend more time with family? How do you know when you've done that? Resolutions, resolutions or intentionality has to be specific. The more specific and the more vivid it is, the more you can picture it, ideally with a date, because a resolution without a date is just a wish, and steps to get there. Lose some weight has about eight different steps. Who saw What About Bob, the movie? Who remembers baby steps? You may, you may make fun of that, but having a big goal and having baby steps that are specific, specific, people give up on New Year's resolutions because they're too vague. My Pilates class, I guarantee you I'm going to go there sometime this week and it'll be packed. It's always packed in January. By February, those people are gone because their resolution was to exercise more. But it wasn't specific and there was no, there was, there was no measurability. 
You can't measure it. It's better to say, I want to lose four pounds this year, and by the end of March, I want to lose one pound by the by each quarter. And then you put something to trigger yourself on the phone so you can remember it. Because if you just lose track of it, you're never going to get anywhere. So we're going to learn how to make specific goals that are measurable so that we can be intentional, so that we don't give up in February, so that we actually alert ourselves at those places where we need to pay attention. And the goals are going to be measurable. Now, you're not going to come up with those today. You might start with a draft. But over the next few weeks, we're going to start to kind of zero in on it. And it takes more than just a day to get this right, to be intentional about what the Lord would have us do. The power of intention is going to be today's message. And it's going to be this question. What do you want? And you might think that's a really selfish question. But God asks it of Solomon. God comes right out and says to Solomon, what do you want? And we need to be prepared to answer at that point. I don't know, God, whatever. Give me something. You know, We've got to be more specific than that. God wants to engage us in this process. And he has put the answer to that question in your software, in your wiring. He has wired everyone for success, not in the way the world looks at success, but he's wired everyone, engineered everyone to succeed in the task that you've been given. And the clues to those tasks are in your very wiring because God put them there. And he's asking you, what do you want? Because he wants to know if you're in touch with that. And if you're not, we need to get in touch with that. What did God put us here for? Why are we here? We're going to be looking at some of the psychological insights of a guy from the 50s, Maxwell Maltz, who's a believer. And he came up with all kinds of Bible stuff and all kinds of psychological stuff. He's actually a plastic surgeon. Wealthy plastic surgeon in New York, and he realized that for some of his patients, fixing their faces after a bad accident helped. And for some of them, it didn't. And he got really curious about the difference. Who's seen those big makeover shows? Who thinks they don't all become wonderfully successful afterwards? Changing the outside doesn't necessarily change the inside. So he kind of, over time, gave up on plastic surgery and started working with people and started telling some of his patients, just don't do it. Work on the inside first. And maybe, you know, if you've got a real disfigurement, we'll work on it. But chances are, you're supposed to look like that. And maybe he just got away from Do you see where if you were a plastic surgeon, you'd start to see the difference? People would think, oh, if I just change my face, my life will be great. And guess what? Wherever you go, there you are. And so out of his frustration, he started to study how it is that people get their heads straight. And he uses Bible passages and other things to do that. So we'll be looking at some of those in the weeks to come. We're also going to be looking at dreams and visions in the Bible. Why? Because in your dream life, you go deep. Who's seen Bible passages where great clues to your life are given? Because your mind isn't busy. You're actually not conscious. And who here has a busy mind? I do not. I, you, you'd be so shocked at how slow I think. I just, I just think, I, I think in a straight line, 
I don't think of two things at once. And I plod. I just plod and I plod and I plod. Wendy's mind is going, I'm going plod, plod, plod. We have interesting conversations. Hers is like a bowl of spaghetti. Mine is like a wire. Just go down the wire. And if you've got a busy mind, sometimes that's the only way God can get in touch with you. Is when your mind shuts down. And big clues to your life can be given to you during dreams. And the Bible's full of those dreams. We're going to look at the dreams in the Bible, the dreams and the visions, to get you looking at your own dreams and visions. Wendy showed up at the prayer meeting this morning, having had dreams last night. And one of them, I'm still trying to figure out, the other one was obvious what it's about. And God often gives us clues during dreams. The Wilberts were in my dream last night. We had this big piece of property, we did, and Craig was a soccer coach. And he had a soccer team that wanted to play soccer on ice. And I don't understand this. And, and the church was going to be responsible, and the trustees were thinking, are we going to have liability insurance for this stuff? Now, that sounds like a crazy dream. But there might be something to it. i, I got to think about what is what is this about. In fact, I've dreamed about most of you at one time or another. So that's, that's the thing about a small church. You dream about just about everybody in the church. So I'll share with you. Dreams and visions are a, let's say this out loud together on the screen. One, two, three. Dreams and visions are a deep well. It goes very deep into your subconscious and into the spiritual realm. And we want to get better at paying attention to our dreams and visions over the next few weeks. And the best way to do that is to look at the dreams and visions in the in the Bible. So let's look at those, and uh, Kim and Matt just kind of keep up with me here. David has died. King David has died, and Solomon is now the king, his son of Israel. 3,000 years ago, 1,000 B.C. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. Chances are Solomon had a busy mind, and God had to get deep with him, the deep well. And God said, what did he say? What do you want? Did he tell Solomon what he's supposed to want? No, he asked him, what do you want? Because he wanted Solomon's total engagement. And I want to tell you this, folks. God has printed the answer on your heart to that question. You're either aware of it or you're not, but it's there. You were put here for a reason. And you are wired to succeed at that reason. And you need to get in touch. He needs to ask, what did Jesus ask people who were sick? What do you want me to do for you? I've told you this so many times, you're probably tired of hearing it, but very often I go and pray for someone who's sick. And I often say, what do you want me to pray for? And people say, like, pray for my cancer. What do you want me to do <laughs> with the cancer? What do you want me to pray about it? Get in touch with what you specifically want. Jesus often asked people who were sick, what do you want? He could have, who thinks Jesus could know the answer? But he asks the person to get that person involved. God wants you involved with the desires of your heart for the next decade. And the answer is in there. And we have to go deep enough into our own souls to be able to answer quickly. 
And guess who could answer quickly in this one, in this story? Solomon. Solomon already knew what he needed because he was a thoughtful guy, obviously, from what he's written. We're starting this whole year with reading through the Proverbs, and you get a feel for what he's about. He's a thinker. He's processed this. And so he's ready with an answer. And I think most of us would be a little bit nervous and not quite ready with an answer. So by the end of this sermon series, I'm hoping we will all be ready with an answer when God comes knocking in a dream, he says, to you, Vicky, what do you want? And that's <laughs> your face right there. What do I do? And we need to start listing those things now as a draft. And it will, by the end of a few weeks, the draft will become a final copy. And then God will ask you sometime soon, the next few weeks, what is it that you want? And then we can start working with God together toward that. The Bible says he will give us the desires of our heart. And I'm not talking about the desires to eat ice cream all day or, or whatever. I'm, I'm talking about the desires that God put there to bring out our purpose in life. So, who wants to find that for you? Who wants to be ready to answer the Lord when he asks us? So that we can do those things. Who thinks it takes a few weeks to get that straight so that we can do this? Who thinks it took Solomon more than a few weeks? As his father David was getting older, what did he think? Pretty soon I'm going to be king. He knows how to be king. I don't. I've got real needs here. Real specific needs. Who thinks Prince Charles is thinking, hmm, when Elizabeth dies? He's been thinking about it for more than a few weeks, don't you think? How am I going to do this? And he'll probably do it in a bad mood like he does everything else. You know, never mind. This grumpy, grumpy guy. And I will give it to you. Next slide. Solomon replied, You showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. You've continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David. But I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. I know what my needs are. I understand what I need. I've been thinking about it. And here I'm in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they can't be counted. He said, I'm overwhelmed by the challenges I'm facing. Give me an understanding heart. Give me wisdom so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? I need something bigger than me. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies. And it's okay to ask for long life and wealth, the death of your enemies, but those are really just byproducts of living a good life. What we need to ask for is the purpose. And if you get a long life and wealth to help accomplish that, praise God. Long life and wealth are there to help you accomplish your purpose. They're not the purpose themselves. And if you've got a long life, you just got more time to get it done. People have said, ask her house, how come you want to live to be 116? Because, first of all, the bicentennial was really boring, so I'm hoping the tricentennial will be better. Second of all, I got a lot of stuff to get done. I need more time. I want long life to be able to do what God wants me to do. 
not just to get old. That's not the point. I think I'm going to need a lot of time to get a lot of those things done. And I need a certain amount of abundance to get there and to be able to facilitate those things. So because you ask for something in your heart and not the byproducts, I'll give you what you ask for. I'll give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has ever had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commandments, as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon woke up and realized it had been what? A dream. Pay attention to your dreams in the next few weeks. Write, write them down right away before you forget them. By the time I've used the bathroom, I usually forget them. Write them down quickly. He returned to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant where he sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. Then he invited all his officials to a great banquet. There you have the story of Solomon's dreams. In every sermon in the next series, we're going to be looking at one of the visions and dreams in the Bible and relating it to our own lives. Next week's going to be really funny. We'll get to that. 2020 vision. God asks Solomon, what do you want? And here's the important thing. He wants the answer to come out of us. Express means to push out. To express ourselves what the desires of our heart are. And God knows what they are because he put them there, but he wants to hear it from us. When you're married, you have to say I love you at a certain rate. Or you get in trouble. <laughs> What's that? Yes, just just to be on the safe side. <laughs> to say it often. Does your spouse know you love him or her? Probably, but they need to hear it. God wants to hear it. We want to hear from our kids what they're thinking, we, even though we know what they're thinking. Especially if you're a mom, you know what your kids are thinking. You've got an eye in the back of your head and you know already. But you want to hear it from them. You want to hear it from them express to God. God asks Solomon, what's in your heart? Get it out there and don't borrow someone else's vision. This is the one thing I don't like about testimonies. I love testimonies in general. But very often, I really do like testimonies. But sometimes people start to think I should have a testimony like so-and-so. Or I should have the kind of vision or dream someone else has. I was at this engineering conference for Concordia University in Dallas up to last night. And there was breakout sessions on leadership. Most leadership literature is so bogus. Because it tells you you gotta, you gotta lead in a certain way. You have to invest in your team. You have to do this. You have, folks, I've known people who don't invest in their team at all and lead great. I know people who invest in their team and lead great. You have to be yourself. You can't borrow someone else's leadership. You have to lead out of your own heart. Who you are. As a parent, one of the worst things you can do is copy someone else's parenting. You want a parent the way God wired you. If you're a naturally stern person, be a stern parent. If you're a naturally loosey-goosey person, be a loosey-goosey. Be yourself so your kid has someone to connect to. Be real and be yourself. In leadership, in parenting, however it is. 
you can't borrow a vision. And most leadership books are how to lead like so-and-so. Don't lead like Churchill. He saved the war, but he just drank all day and led. You know, just, you don't want to copy someone else's way of leading. It worked for him. So, next one. What's inside of you? Why do you want to get the answer from inside of you? Because the what's inside of you is the image of God. Your deepest self is the image of God. The Bible says so. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. You're going to find God in there. And you're going to find the answer he put in there. What other words connect with imago or image? Imagination. Imagination. Walt Disney will tell you that imagination is the key to almost anything. And we're going to learn next week how to get our imagination going to connect the dots and the clues that God has given us. Imagination is really, really key. Also, another word with imago, imagination, another one is your self-image. I'm not talking about self-esteem. I'm talking about self-image. Want a little secret? You will never act or achieve above your self-image. Never. Your self-image will limit what you can do. And if your self-image is the image of God, then you can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We need to grow our self-image to match the stamp that God put in our hearts. Who thinks that's pretty cool? Who thinks anyone with a self-image and the image of God can do a lot of things? We limit ourselves by our self-image. We will never outperform our self-image. And if you have a false self-image, which is anything lower than the image of God, you'll be underperforming and disappointed your whole life. So we need to raise our image to match what God put inside of us. Next one. You are engineered by God. I just spent three days with engineers, and it is nerd heaven, let me tell you. It is, it is something. And you get all of them in one place. Engineers are great. I really I like engineers. I got a little bit of engineer in me. But it's like pastors. You put it's like pastors are manure. You put too much together and it burns the grass. You spread it out, it helps. You know. We got a whole bunch of it. Four hundred engineers in one place. And it was uh it was something. But but God is your engineer. And he engineered you to succeed at your purpose. He did not engineer you for failure. If you think that you're destined for failure, you're calling God a terrible engineer. And you were fearfully and wonderfully engineered and fearfully and wonderfully made. You can do amazing things if your image matches the image God gave you. And it may not to be fam- may not be to be famous in the world's eyes, or to be famous in in the world's way, but to be famous in the heavenly realm. I've got four special secrets for you. You guys are going, oh, yeah, oh, I hear it all around the room. I get to go visit babies as a pastor, and they have to let me. Just got to visit Jack. 
Pamela's grandson. I love visiting babies. Why do we love babies? Because they're themselves. They're expressing. They're not taking on anyone else's image. They are being themselves, and sometimes that's irritable. Makes us irritable. But we love babies because they are. Who's ever been at a really conservative church, and the only time anyone laughs in church is when the kids come up front and sing. And the girl, you know, holds up her, shows her belly button, the whole thing, you know, all this stuff happens. You can't unsee that, I'm sorry, but, uh, but we love that, don't we? Because they're not inhibited. We love, especially the more conservative the church, the more they love the kids up front. Because they can't express themselves as adults, so they hope that kids will do something funny so they can laugh. And they're all thinking inside, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could be like the baby. We need to be less inhibited. We need to disinhibit. Jesus says, the power of the kingdom comes when we act as children, being playful, a little goofy. And I'm so happy that Woody is still smiling after Ohio State losing that terrible game. But he's still got that playfulness in him, so it's coming back. And, uh, but all seriousness, Woody smiles as much as anyone in the room. And I think that that's important to remember, to have that childlike playfulness. I loved Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's my favorite quote from him, along with, I'm the potty poopa. But he was accused of, you know, misbehaving with his hands. And he says, I'm sorry, I'm very sorry. I hurt anybody. I was just being playful. And I'm not condoning that, but just I'm just saying the playfulness, he's a playful guy. He had he says he was asked, What do you what's the biggest thing that comes to you being governor? He says, Joy, just lots of joy. That's playfulness. That's we like Arnold Schwarzenegger because he's playful. Even when he's the Terminator, he's playful. He is. I'm gonna blow you away back, you know. <laughs> we why do we like him? Because he's childlike. That's why he's popular. He's childlike and playful. Yeah, exactly. But kindergarten too, the whole thing. It's in kindergarten. Just a big kindergarten kid. That's clue number one. Look at kids. Number two. There is a word which is so false. And that word is self-conscious. My mom would always say to my middle brother, Mike, who became the perfect one, you're just too self-conscious. He was always self-conscious. But he wasn't really self-conscious. He was conscious of others. Self-consciousness is the worst misnomer I've ever heard because you're not conscious of yourself. You're worried about whatever else thinks. You're only that way when you're a crowd and by yourself you're fine. Self-conscious is a dumb way to label that. It's others' consciousness. And others' consciousness makes us inhibited, makes us less likable, makes us less ourselves, makes us less living out of our heart. And we're less able to connect with that which God put us in our, in our heart. Everyone in this room needs to go four-wheeling with Craig. Craig gets very playful out there, a little scary playful on some of the things he does, but it's fun. It's fun. Who thinks that you can get old and lose your playfulness? Who thinks, who's seen old people who are very playful? Tamara's dad with little kids. 
He'd never lost that thing. Your sermon from last week, he had that playfulness to him. Good stuff. Third clue of four. Repeat after me. I am built like a torpedo. You are. You are more like a torpedo than almost any other machine. And here's what I mean by that. Torpedoes get sent out of the submarine, and they have a target, and along the way they correct. You do that too. You correct thousands of times a day because you've learned how to correct how you do things. You can reach for something, pick it up, and do something with it. You couldn't do that when you were four months old. Through feedback, through a feedback loop of trial and error, you've learned everything about what you do. And a torpedo does the same thing. It corrects until it finds its mark. But it can't correct if it's sitting in the submarine. Who likes old World War II submarine movies like I do? I love it when the Germans fire the torpedo. They always say, Los! Let it go. And Los means loose. Let it loose. We say fire, but they say loose, which we have to let ourselves loose. you got to get out there. You can't steer if you're sitting still. And you can't plan for how it's going to go until you get moving. You don't know what currents are coming. You don't know what obstacles are coming. you got to get moving. And I'm concerned about the next generation because a lot of them have to have everything perfect before they will start. And you need to just go. I better not start forming a family until I've got this, 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 and this. Next thing you know, you're... Way down the road, yeah. Because Craig was dead. Just go. Go do it and correct on the way. Bite off more than you can chew and just chew for a long time. Work on it. You know, just move. I better not go until I, until I can figure out exactly how I'm going to correct on the You can't figure it out ahead of time. You don't know what's coming. You have no idea what's coming. You'll correct when you... Wendy's got a great phrase. We'll burn that bridge when we get there, which is mixing two metaphors. But it... The fourth one. I'd like us all to practice a little bit of disinhibition. Be a little playful this week. It'll help you get in touch with your heart. Your heart is playful. Your natural state is joy. And if we get away from that, if we unlearn it, we can really get in trouble. You're going to see the Olympics in 2020. And you can see weightlifters. What will they do when they lift the weights? Right? Pretty good. Why, why did they do that? Because it's statistically shown that you can lift 15% more if you yell. Why? Because you, you're in front of all these people, TV cameras, who wants to look stupid. They don't want to yell and look weird. I just yelled and looked weird. Because I know you guys like me. And you know that I'll be preaching your, your funeral sermon, so you've got to be nice to me. But anyways. It, so, seriously though, they lift because what? They lift, and the less inhibited you are, the more you can lift. Same with shot button. Absolutely. My guess is that Shane can do shot put and discus. My guess is that Shane can throw any of us 40 yards through the air. Karate, same thing. 
because you allow yourself to look stupid and yell in front of 40 billion people on TV. Disinhibition increases performance. It just does. And if we can disinhibit, we can do better in life. So this, this, you know, this has a little side thing on speaking in tongues. A lot of people don't speak in tongues. I'm not saying everyone needs to speak in tongues or anything like that. I'm not pushing anybody. But there are people who do not operate in the gift of tongues because they don't want to look stupid. They're too inhibited. That may not be your issue, but I've seen people from it is. It becomes an issue. I don't want to sound funny. I want control over what I'm doing. And really, it's sort of just a way of uninhibitedly talking to God without grammar and without vocabulary. It's hard for people. But this is not about that. This is about disinhibition. Both Paul and Jesus tell us to disinhibit. Be careful for nothing, Paul says. Don't worry about anything. Get less inhibited. Don't worry about what's coming. Think of it as easy. We were praying over Jen this morning, and God can make it easy. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. But disinhibit first. Get into a thankful place. And be less caught up in things. Unclamp a little bit. Who spent the whole day like I have, just all clamped up emotionally? We need to unclamp so that our heart can show itself. So our heart can shine. Jesus says the same thing. Therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor for your body, what you put on. Is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Don't worry about what's coming. Be present in the moment. You know that the moment is the only moment that exists? The future is just a figment of our mind. You know, someday in eternity, guess what? When you're in eternity, you'll be in the present. The present is all the eternity that there ever is. And the past doesn't exist. I love these time travel movies because they're kind of cool, like Back to the Future. But it is not possible to be anywhere but now. Just not. It makes for a cool story. But now is all there is. If you can't learn to live in eternity now, who knows if you'll ever be able to. We need to be in the moment as best we can. So some practicalities. Turn up your speaking volume. Sitting at the table with engineers for the last three days, there's always a couple of them that you have to say, would you please speak louder? Because they're just people who don't put their words out there are inhibited. Put some punch in your words. Put some emotion in your words. Put some heart behind it. Don't be the kind of person where everybody has to say, speak up. Don't be a mannerist. Don't copy other people. Release what's inside. Don't import something else. The image of God. Imago Dei. Image. Imagination. Measurable goals that are specific and vivid. The more vivid and emotional your picture is, and the more specific it is, the more likely it is you'll achieve it. I just kind of want to have a little bit better life. That's not, that's not a good resolution. Make it clear. As clear as you possibly, possibly can. So. This week's assignment and next week's topic. 
be prepared for God to ask you this question. It might come in a dream. And if God asks you, get on the get in the habit of thinking about what it is you want. So give him something specific, vivid, and coming out of your heart. Work on disinhibiting. Do something goofy. Be 65 and skateboard down Main Street. Do something. Do something that is you could look foolish doing. Take a chance a little bit. Laugh at something. Spend more time with little kids. Be around grandkids and kids and, and whatever. And copy some of the stuff they do. Some of the stuff they do. Take your vague resolutions and try to get them in focus a little bit more. Sharpen them up. What is it exactly that we want? Invite the worship team up. Next week, one of the things I love doing, I did it at Tamara's uh, uh, dad's funeral. I love to preach on things nobody preaches on. And next week, we're going to be doing Judges 7, 3 through 4, the runaway barley loaf. Nobody preaches on that. But it is a great message for learning how to connect the dots in our lives that we haven't connected. Allowing the quarter to drop in some areas. And I, I just love this passage. I've never preached on it. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, it's going to be really, really cool. So let's stand up. Lord, inside of all of us, there's a playful kid. And uh, Lord, we want to, little by little, baby steps, let that person out a little bit more. Have a little bit more fun with it. You just gave me the picture, I've thought about it for years, of a 70-year-old grandma who took us to Cologne one day to, to see the city. And her token didn't work in the subway thing, and so she said some kind of Japanese yell, and she jumped over the turnstile. Cowabunga, or what, what do the Japanese say there? Banzai, that was it. She jumped over the whole thing. So I thought it was just cool to see that. So Lord, we pray for a playful heart. We pray that we get in touch with our, our heart that you put in us in childhood. We pray for vivid and clear resolutions. We pray, Lord, that nobody would feel pressured to come up with this, that we just let it come and open ourselves up to getting in touch with what you wired the answer like a treasure in our hearts. And we can find that treasure. This next few weeks is going to be a treasure hunt. And we're looking forward to it. And Lord, we give you thanks for the gift of faith. We give you thanks for Solomon who got the right answer. We love your word, Lord. And we want to put it into work in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.